Welcome to the Soci Effect, Breaking Barriers, Embracing Success. I'm your host, Lucy Ortega, a serial entrepreneur, and this podcast will not only delve into stories of triumph, but also explore nuestra cultura and embrace our authenticity. Join our empowering community of socias, mujeres who embrace their unique power, support one another, and strive to make a positive impact. Join us in the Soci Effect, where barriers crumble and dreams flourish. Empezamos entonces. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Socia Effect podcast. This is episode eight. And in this episode, I am interviewing Alondra Palacio. She is an LA native born and raised here in South LA. And when, and part of this podcast is to amplify the voices of Latinas who have grown up in South Central, have experienced many barriers and are breaking them. And Alondra is one of those women. So I wanted her to come in and share her story because I think her story is a story of so many women that we sometimes don't get to hear from. So Alondra, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and all the barriers you have had to break? Cool. All right. Well, my name is Alondra. I grew up in South Central LA. I'm 27 years old. I was raised by two immigrant parents. They actually arrived to the U.S. around the time they were 16, so as teenagers. I do identify as a mom, as an advocate for, for a lot of women who you know, experienced hardships, also a first-gen grad. So, Alondra, tell us about some of the barriers you have had to face as someone born and raised here in South Central LA. I think I could trace it back down to my childhood. I grew up with two older sisters. I was actually the youngest, and both of my parents uh, weren't from here. They were undocumented. So I, I often hear like stories of, oh, you know, growing up, we went to go visit our grandparents in Mexico, or we had family over there. And for us, it was very different. Like as of now, I've never even been to Mexico because that wasn't, uh, I guess, like a privilege we had to be able to go back and forth and stuff with my parents. But because of, of their status, they worked long hours. So a lot of the time, my, my sisters and I, we would be home alone. I remember having my own house keys by the time I was in third grade. And my sister, who was in fifth grade, well, she would walk me home. And by the time she went to middle school, I was walking home on my own at like fourth grade. Mind you, the school wasn't that far, but we still pretty much raised ourselves. My oldest sister was only four years older than me. So by the time she was, what, 10, she was already looking after a six and an eight-year-old on her own. And I remember just, that's a lot of the, a lot of the time, you know, that we spent was just us three in our home. I think also, because my parents were so young, my dad, I considered him to be one of the, like, hardest machistas ever. But it was weird being raised in a household where you have one parent who's a complete machista and another parent who's all about female empowerment, you can't tell me what to do and you can't control me. There was a time where my dad had all the control over my mom, which is when he she wasn't allowed to work. So my dad would kind of use that control, that power over like the financial stuff to keep her home. Um, so a lot of like DV went on. And I mean, I grew up, we all my sisters, my sisters and I, we grew up like hearing them fight, you know, having to physically separate them from fights and things like that. Up until the time my mom, <clears throat> she finally got a job. She finally, I guess, was allowed to get a job. That's when her sense of like, well, I have my own money now. 
you can't mm-hmm. you can't control me you can't do this and I think my dad started kind of feeling like hey I, I don't have control over her my dad he was more what you say like a functioning addict on the weekends he would use the weekdays he would work and my dad would disappear on the weekends but he'd come back so it's fine but that kind of started like the rift between my parents and constantly fighting and obviously dealing with like money issues and things like that. The fact that we were unsupervised for so much time kind of led into me sneaking out. Dad was very controlling in the sense where if we were out in the porch, he'd come home and he'd see us literally sitting on the porch, he'd, he'd hit us for just being outside because he'd say we wanted attention from like neighbors. So we learned to be sneaky and not to do it in front of him. And there's a lot of things that my sisters did that my parents never found out. By the time I was like in middle school, I was I was always doing good in school. I had good grades. I was gifted. I had like A's and B's. And, but it wasn't until I guess I met my daughter's dad in middle school where he wasn't the, the best of academic people. And he wasn't the best of influences either um, because, well, he was involved in like the gang life. Um, and to me being young and naive it's like I have my dad who's scary and at home and then here I have another person who's also scary but he's not scary of me like he's protecting me and it's Mm -hmm. it's such a dumb mindset and I tell myself like how could I have been so dumb but I was 13 who makes smart decisions at that age you know so I I give myself grace for that I would sneak out with uh with him while my parents were at work Eventually, by the time I got to like 10th grade, um, he transferred into that school. And that's when everything kind of went downhill because now it wasn't just me sneaking out after school. Now it was, it was me ditching. And all my teachers were surprised too. You know, they're like, Alondra, like you were doing good. Where are you? That's when I started ditching and like smoking and doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And obviously I, I, was, I was sexually active. But by the time I was like 14-ish, going on 15, it wasn't until I want to say like March of 2011 that I was ditching and I was at my daughter's grandma's house with, you know, with her dad. And I got up and I felt super dizzy, like super, super dizzy. And she saw me. She saw the look on my face, like what's going on? And she's like, Alondra, like, ¿qué tiene? You know, what's wrong? And... And I just told her, I'm like, I don't know, I think I just got lightheaded. And she's like, you don't think you're pregnant? And I'm like, no. She's like, are you sure? And obviously she, she saw that I was with him a lot and things like that. So, and she's, you know, she's older, smarter lady. Like, pues si quieres, like, te voy a traer una, una prueba de embarazo. And I'm like, I guess, like, it's not going to do anything because I'm not pregnant. You know, still in the naive mindset that I couldn't get pregnant. I took the test and sure enough, I was pregnant. And I remember just how, like, young and naive we were because we saw it and we were just like it's not true like we still couldn't believe it even though we had the test like right there my daughter's grandma was like we have to make like an appointment for you to like see the prenatal doctor and all that stuff mind you my mom doesn't know who my daughter's dad is at that time she had never been introduced to him she's that's just some random kid to her but when i i did school to go to a prenatal doctor my daughter's grandma took me and everything it was the first like appointment and I found out I was already like four and a half months pregnant yeah so by that time I was I was yeah I was already my second trimester and I didn't even know and then I got home that same day that we had that clinic appointment and I told my oldest sister I told her you know she drove me somewhere I don't know where we were going to like pick something up 
and she 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 noticed that I was like really really serious. By this time she's already eighteen. Uh, no, she was like seventeen. But she oh, she was seventeen. Yeah. So, so yeah. So she's driving or whatever, and then um, she saw that I was all serious, and she's like, "Are you okay?" And I just I just started crying. I just bawled. I'm like, "I'm pregnant." She's like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "Well, we went to the doctor, and he told us this and that and that." And she was just like, "Wait, you are pregnant?" And I'm just like, I, "Yeah, I guess." But the thing is, like, my dad growing up would tell us, like, you could, like if you got a tattoo, I'm going to scrub it off. Con una fibra, then look, I'm going to scrub it off. If you got pregnant, don't expect us to help. Don't expect me to help. Like, you're leaving. You're doing whatever, wherever you're going to go, but you're not going to stay here. I'm like, I don't know how to tell my parents. And I actually never told my parents. My sisters did. So that day, I told my older sister, and I guess, you know, nothing happened. The next day she told my my middle sister and my middle sister is very like okay now what like what are you gonna do now you know so she's like you're not gonna say it I'm gonna say it so I'm in school and my mom like the next day my mom calls me she's like Alondra like where are you and I'm like I'm in school and she's like well as soon as you get out of school come straight home and I'm just like por qué <laughs> and she was like ya me dijo like ya me dijo lo que pasó lo que está pasando like that like what's happening that that's what i know and i didn't even ask her i didn't say do you know already i was i just knew like damn mm -hmm. they told her and i i at that moment i was like ah oh, like they told her but it's also like i don't think i would have ever have been able to tell them i think at that that um age or that time you always think like i betrayed my parents that's mm -hmm. how i saw it um because they were just working like they didn't leave us because of other reasons you know they were trying to survive when i got home that day um my mom's like in the living room that like toda triste her eyes are like super puffy and she just doesn't say anything she's just mm -hmm. she just looks like heartbroken she's like your dad's gonna be here and he knows and i'm just like oh, crap. so i'm like i'm gonna go to the room and i'm gonna go to sleep like i i just i didn't want to i don't want i knew he was gonna fuck me up like mm -hmm. i i knew he was my dad was, would be the type to to do that to hit us even if we were pregnant and then i woke up and my sister's like my dad's here and i'm like fuck and i'm just mentally preparing but at that time like i i had gotten hit by my dad so many times i had gotten yelled at or whatever so you build kind of like a numbness mm -hmm. and you just wait for it to pass yeah and um, you know what's coming, so you're already mentally prepared for it. And you kind of, like, disassociate because that's that's how you cope with it. So I'm right there, like, telling myself, give count to, like, 300 and you'll be cool. But I think that day was probably, like, one of the, like, the most humiliating, like, moments. The part with, with my dad always, like, it always, it's always the hardest. So I get, I go into the living room, right? And he has this chair and he's like, siéntate. So I sit down and he's like, what's wrong with you? What's going on with you? And I'm just like, well, like I'm pregnant. But he's just like, I don't know if you're stupid or if you're like mentally, um, mentally like retarded, like all type of stuff. He's like, it, it was just a lot of stuff. He, he said that, you know, that I was probably with like 10 different guys and that I probably didn't even know who the dad was. And like to hear that from your dad, it, it sucks, you know. But um, and I told and he's like, so what are you going to do about it? 
and I told him, me being a smart ass, I'm like, well, I'm not the first and I'm not the last, you know, like <laughs> there's women who have had kids and there's teen moms who have had kids and I'll be fine. He's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I'm just like, whatever, you know, he just didn't want to hear it. So he takes, I don't know what his, his idea was, but he, um, he takes me to church like then and there. And he's like, I want you to see how, how, like how stupid and how dirty you are. And I want like the nuns to basically tell you like how you fucked up. And on the car ride over there, um, my like he's just talking shit, just talking shit the whole ride over there. But I'm just like, whatever, whatever, whatever. And my mom's like, leave her alone, like stop telling her those things. But she's still there. She's, you know, she's still riding alongside us or whatever. The nuns, when we get there, the nuns basically tell him like, what do you want us to do? You know, like you're her dad. So you have to help her. So they they told me, like, you have to apologize to your dad because you fucked up, basically. And I told my dad, like, I'm sorry, you know. And um, and then he's and then they're like, but you know, they tell him, you have to apologize to her for everything you just told her. And my dad was like, No, for what? You know? And she they were and she was just like, Well, give your dad a hug and tell him, you know, you're sorry. And my dad just looks at me with like the most disgust. And he's just like, That's not my daughter. And then you know, on the car ride back home, he's like, you're going to get all your stuff. You're leaving. I was still kind of like a rebellious teenager at that time. So I'm like, fine, better, better, better for me. I'll go somewhere else, you know? And my mom's like, no, like you can't, you can't leave. You have to stay with us and all this. And, um, by the time I get home, um, I call her, her, my daughter's dad. And he's like, well, we, we can go pick you up. We can even do this. But my dad was so crazy that he he literally said, like, if he shows up, I'm going to kill him. And me being me and young, I was like, te va matar. No vengas, he's going to kill you. Um, so I stayed there. Plus, my mom, I felt really bad for my mom because I know my mom wanted me to stay. She only she could only do so much. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't blame her. At that point... Um, I started just doing good in school again. And that that's the only thing I I guess I was okay with. You know, I felt everywhere else I was a fuck up. Like as a daughter, my sisters, um, one of them was mad at me. I wanted to feel like I wasn't a complete fuck up. So I started focusing on school. But um it was kinda hard too, cause like as obviously as a teenager, like you're trying to develop like your sense of identity and who you are. And I wasn't able to do that. But I identified with being good in school. So once my once my parents found out I was pregnant, I was living in the house. I was five months pregnant or so. Um, but my dad with literally every time he he would see me, if my belly was showing, like he'd tell me like go put on another shirt or like go to the room or go outside or go clean or go do this. Like he wouldn't just let me be. I see. Yeah. And um, and I was like, okay, like, that's fine. But, um, it got to the point where everything I would do would irritate him. And I was scared because there was times where I, I did irritate him and he would hit me. So you were pregnant and I was pregnant. Um, and it was just like a slap or just, or whatever. And I, I had experienced that before. So to me it was like, well, it's not that bad, but I got to like, I was scared for my baby. I'm like, I could do it. You know, I could physically take it, but I don't know how that's going to affect her. So, um, but I also didn't know if I could leave my house or not. 
um, and what would happen if I did leave. But it was, um, there was this one like specific day where he got home from work and I was sitting on the sofa and he tells me, he's like, get up, like clean the dishes. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like waddling to get up. And I guess like he thought I was taking too long. So he just like back, backhand slaps me or whatever. And I don't, I don't know what it was that made my sister like react. I don't know if she saw that it was like really bad or, or something. So she kind of like got in front of me and she started defending me. And he kind of like pushed her to get to me. And it was like this whole ordeal. But it was like the worst he had hit me. So I ran into my room. And I the thing is, because of every little argument that would start or every little thing, I had already packed up my clothes. Like literally every day since I had so since they found out that I was pregnant, I would pack up my stuff because every day it was something. And I'm like, one of these days something's gonna happen and I have to take my stuff with me, you know? So I went into the room and I was just crying and my sister came in and she's like, Alondra, you have to leave. Like you have to, because if, if you don't, if you don't leave, like it's going to get worse and you know, it's going to get bad as if that wasn't bad enough, you know? Mm -hmm. So he gets into the shower and este, when he gets into the shower, I get like my bag and I just leave. So I get my stuff and I used to live like on central on 77th. And I booked it all the way from 77 to like 68. And but I was like on an adrenaline rush. And I was honestly like, I left. I'm happy. You know, I escaped. I'm good. I'll be okay. And then um, when I get to Chiquis' grandparents' house, they already know my dad's crazy. Um, but they were also like, We're gonna help you. Like, you know, that's our grandbaby, and you know, they're like the best people ever. Um, so they took me in, they took me in into their house, and my mom shows up like an hour later to their house and she's like Alondra like you have to come back and I'm like I can't like he literally just beat me up and you weren't there you know so you're not you're not gonna change anything like I can't you can't protect me if that makes sense like the best thing you could do is just leave me here um so and and my mom she didn't want to leave me there like she didn't but she knew I was better off there so I stayed there but um for the next couple of months, it was kind of like I got out of that situation, but I got into another situation with, with her dad. So mm -hmm. my dad didn't let my mom or my sisters visit me and she didn't let he didn't let me go over there either. So for like most of my pregnancy, I didn't really have contact with my sisters like that. Um, my mom, I did see her a couple of times. She would meet us at the clinic. But because I was always sad and I was always crying because I miss my, my family my daughter's dad he would get like jealous he would get jealous and he would kind of throw that in my face and it wasn't like a nice conversation it was more of like if you want to leave then get the fuck out of here you know but I couldn't go back like I I just couldn't my dad had said I couldn't go back and it was basically being there or being homeless and my daughter's dad knew that you know and he used that against me so whenever I would irk him because I was emotional or something he would literally get my stuff and throw it like outside and it wasn't until my daughter's grand my daughter's grandma would tell like get in the middle and say like hey leave her alone like chill like the hell in class or stuff like that and mind you i'm pregnant and i'm 15 um 
and it was just a lot and i think during that time like so you're being a teen animal like you're, yeah. you're 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 you have you're experiencing all these emotions that we as teens yeah normally have and then the hormones of being a pregnant yeah teen it, it was it was everything it's like when people get married when people leave their family that's a whole transition i was living through like four different transitions as a teen you know and it was it was too much for my body and my brain to honestly handle um but i realized like before i had my daughter that my daughter's dad wasn't it like he was not the person i was gonna be with forever because that's just i couldn't i couldn't see that so i'm curious how did you deal with this at school because we grew up we we grew up in south central there's different um, there's different narratives here in south la right one of them is immigrant household a lot of our a lot of our parents are from mexico central america very machista conservative catholic lifestyles and we as our kids we kind of start we still we're still following that until we become our own person after 18. Hmm. how was that experience being in high school and being pregnant and kind of i mean yeah like i want to know like how, how were like some people i mean i i'm pretty sure now people look back and like why was i mean to her or or, or yeah. why were my views like this about teen pregnancy but what was your experience the teachers they felt bad like the teachers i think that's how i knew like oh damn my situation really is serious because they would look at me like fuck like you fucked up and um even the teachers that i was doing good with in like school or, or class like you could tell they they como que me tenían lastima and i'm just like wait why like i'm still me i'm still smart i'm still capable it's just it's like you're giving me like should i feel like that should i feel like i'm i'm fucking up or, or you know because i didn't feel like that but i saw the looks that they gave me for like friends and stuff I, I had a lot of friends that were like oh you know you're pregnant let me see your belly like we'd go into class and they'd bring me snacks or they'd measure my my stomach or things like that and the teachers would like they'd be like okay okay yeah Carmense. like she's still the same as yesterday you know her belly hasn't gotten that bigger um so i had good experiences i remember there was this one guy that um he came up to me and he's and i had my belly obviously and he's like hey you're pregnant and he was like happy like excited and i was and i looked at him like all oh, mad i'm like no and he was just like oh, i'm so sorry i'm like just kidding i am so i kind of like joked around or whatever but um i think my friends were, were pretty supportive i didn't i didn't feel like i was um like ostracized or anything like that um i did feel i did feel like i didn't I didn't feel pregnant. I knew I was. I just, I, and I knew people looked at me differently, but I was still me. And I think that was like the hard part because towards like the end of my pregnancy, like that's all people would ask me about. Like, how far along are you? Like, how are you, how, when, what, what, what gender is your baby or things like that. And I'm just like, I'm still me. Like, you, I'm not just a pregnant person, you know? Um, And that kind of like, I, I got I, I was over high school by the time I was um, finishing up or whatever um, I was like I don't think I can be in high school anymore because everyone was like looking towards you know signing up for certain programs or going to a dance or doing like all these other curricular activities like I couldn't I wasn't allowed to swim in the pool um, I tried to play basketball I wasn't allowed like obviously I was I was pregnant they were they weren't gonna be liable for any of that 
but it was like watching everybody else do all that while I was just kind of like like I can't you know I'm not I can't do that I had my daughter August 16th that was during vacations I had my daughter two weeks later I was back in school and that was not the best of ideas but I think that's how I coped with it I'm like okay let me just go get back to normal you know and so I was taking care of Chiki while I was in school her grandma so, so was like her having another baby yeah yeah, yeah. so um the you thing- see Chiki's is the reason she got pregnant again uh, yeah I think so <laughs> but um este so she would she would watch her um throughout the day but even Chiki's dad would watch her throughout the day too the first couple of years like with me and him it was weird but with her him and her relationship was different in the beginning it was, it was a good relationship um but then when I was in school like I was I was lactating like I'd go to school and like my shirts were all wet and people would be like hey your shirt's wet because you know I was supposed to be breastfeeding but I didn't um and then a couple of weeks into school I was like okay I, I, have, I have a shot you know because my daughter's okay she's she's healthy and then for me I'm smart like my grades are okay like I, I basically adjusted all my grades while I was pregnant like so I could catch up on my credits and things like that so I was on track to graduate and everything but I started getting these like really 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 bad headaches like debilitating headaches um and nothing would help them and I remember I want to say like two months into 11th grade um I, I had to go home early because my headaches wouldn't stop and it's weird but I fell asleep when I got home and when I woke up I was in the hospital so mm. I had taken like painkillers for like throughout the, the days because nothing would help but I guess they said that I would have taken too much and I was like intoxicated so they thought I had attempted suicide when I was literally just trying to get rid of my headaches. So, and I said, you know, it's just, I have really bad headaches and nothing will make them go away. And I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to take. And they're like, no, no, it's just cause you just had your baby. You're probably just tired. Just take some rest. And I'm like, all right, you know, bet. And, but that happened another time I'd get distorted. So I'd have conversations with people and then I, my words wouldn't come out right. So it's like, you could say a sentence, but it doesn't make sense because the words are not like adding up so like your brain will like say the words and their actual words just won't make sense together they're like jumbled up um so they took me back to the hospital and i'm going to like the boo-boo like family urgent care or whatever and they send me to another hospital and then they start basically they start testing me for a bunch of different like things. They thought I had meningitis. They thought I had all type of stuff. Like they checked me from everywhere. And they ended up saying like that I had postpartum depression. At this point, I'm just like, I just have headaches, you know, um, and they won't go away. But what, so what do I do? And they ended up prescribing me like some pill until this day. I don't know what it was. I think I Googled it a couple of years back and it said that they gave it to like cancer patients. So I'm pretty sure they gave me medication I didn't need or the wrong medication or whatever. And I still remember my mom having to pay for it because that wasn't included in like Medi-Cal or something. Um, but point is with that medication, I was like a robot, not even a robot. I was like a zombie. First of all, I couldn't get off, get off bed. And when I would try to shower and things like that, like I could feel my body going numb. I went back to live with my, with my parents Chiki stayed with her grandma and with her dad. 
And um, I was just, I was in bed and I physically couldn't get up. And it wasn't until we went to like uh, a checkup or whatever with like my clinic, my doctor or whatever. And mom was like, well, we've been giving her these pills. This is what they said. And the doctor like got so mad. She's like, this is not what it's for. Like, you're not supposed to be giving her this. I stopped taking those pills. Eventually, the headache stopped, and eventually all the symptoms went away, and I was, like, kind of back to normal. But those were still two months that I never got back, you know, especially with Chiquis being mm. so small. So when I got back, I think I always felt like, well, obviously, I felt guilty, you know. I missed out um, on, like, the first couple of months of her life because I was sick. That's when I didn't go back to regular school. I ended up going to ended up going to Maxine Waters. Mm-hmm. And watch and at that time I was 16 and it was it was it was adult school so all you had to do was like turn in assignments and things like that and mind you Chiki's did I did everything in like a year and a half like I had her I finished one school I went to another school and then I graduated like she by the time she was like one I was already had already graduated high school because I was just like I want to finish this and if you were to ask me like how was it with her being like a baby and things like that it's crazy because I feel like I have gaps in like my memory and I don't know if it's because of like the medication or just because I I've learned that your body cannot function properly if it's stressed out it doesn't process things the same um it doesn't feel things the same because you're you're just in survival mode um so when I did finally um graduate high school it's because there was a counselor who he saw that I would only go to school like two to three days out of the week, but I'd get everything done. So he's like, You're 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 trying to get out of here, aren't you? And I'm like, Yeah, like I, I this is this is just like a little step that I have to hurry up and finish. And he's like, Do you think you could pass the GED? And mind you, I only went to school for like I only went to high school for like a year and a half. Because a year I was there for ninth grade, tenth grade I ditched half of it, you know? So I'm like, I feel like I can. And um, I took the practice test and I like, I scored advanced on all of them. So that shows how like, either how smart I was or how easy the GED was. He vouched for me because my age was kind of like iffy. I was a little too young, but he vouched for me by signing some paper. And then um, I took the test and that was that. That was it for high school. And then I think- So at this age, when it, what, you're 17? Si- I'm 16. You're still 16. Yeah. I'm telling you, I did everything like in chinga, you know, and it's because I was like, I was like a little hamster just running, just running, just running. Like literally my high school, my um, high school graduation pics, like I'm still carrying chickies because she's not even like fully walking yet, you know, so she's still a little baby. So then I'm like, okay, what's next? And I think for me, I knew that or I felt like school was going to be my savior. Like if I go to school... I'll be okay in everyone's eyes. Mm-hmm. Like in my daughter's eyes, I'll be okay. In my parents' eyes, I'll be okay. In my eyes, I'll be okay. Because I internalized everyone else's expectations. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of us do from this community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we have like that harsh inner critic too. Because we, we internalize those, those perspectives and those thoughts. And I think that's kind of like when you... I don't know if that's when you would come to the house or anything. But I enrolled to, to ELAC to East LA um, Community College. And I remember like riding my bike from 6-8 to Southgate. Wow. Um, like my, I'd take my beach cruiser and I'd have my classes and then 
my um my first major was like biochemistry because I like science. Like even in like tenth grade, my chemistry teacher I don't know if you met her, Miss Wu. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was super cool. She was super sweet. Um, and she would like she would be surprised that I would test good because I wouldn't really go to school. So she's like, how do you, how do you still know this? I'm like, well, I don't know. I just picked up a little here and there or whatever. Um, but I was like, I can do this. I can do science. But that's when like STEM majors in general are hard as, as hard as hell, right? But I started getting the mom guilt of like, I can't be in class while my daughter's like learning how to walk or she's saying mm-hmm. her first word, things like that. And um, it's a lot because you have to go to the class and yeah, then you have to go to the lab. You have to go and to they lab. don't sometimes, they're different the, schedules. And the, and the tutoring. And I think um, my last semester at ELAC, Chiquis was like almost three. And I was taking like physics, um, general chem, general bio, like calculus two. I don't know. There was like literally four hard ass science classes. And I was just like trying to make a fit of my schedule. Once After like the first month, I was like, I can't. I can't do this. Like I, I can't, I can't juggle. You know, all this schoolwork with making sure I don't miss out on my kid. I stopped going, and then I ended up doing a bunch of like different jobs. I was an EMT for a bit. So at sixteen, you managed to graduate high school, mm-hmm. and from sixteen to eighteen, you went to ELAC, which is a community college here in LA. Mm-hmm. and then because you were trying to and this is the pressure right you want to be a good mom but you also want to be a good student and, and you know. decided i have to be a mom first yes so at 18 you drop out of college and from my understanding at 27 you actually graduated mm-hmm. yeah so literally my bachelor's was a decade in, in the making i think so um and what made me go back um it was when Jose passed away. So, I, so when did Jose pass? How old were you when Jose passed away? Uh, I was 24. So 24. So from 18 to 24, what did you do? So from 18 to 19, I was working uh, with my mom. She worked at uh, La Pacifica. So mm-hmm. selling like baptism dresses and things like that. Um, I would work with her on the weekends. And then... By the time I was like 20, I started working at Winchell's. And that was my first like official job on my own. Um, and I, I I, mean, I think that was like the place where I learned I, I can talk to people. Like customer service obviously is key wherever you go. But to me, it's like psychology has to do with understanding people. And I had so many customers that would come in, like tell me about their struggles and their hardships. And I just listen. I'm like, I can I can do this. You know, I have experiences that are similar to other people's experiences that I'm like, this is something I can do. By the time I was like 21, I want to say 21, I was still living with um, Chiquita's dad and his family and, and Jose. Um, but that's when Chiquita's dad started um, using drugs more like heavily and to the point where I could tell it was impacting um him as a parent and my daughter as you know as a kid and I grew up seeing my dad using too so I'm like I can't repeat the cycle like I I don't want to do this but it came down to I don't have anywhere else to go right Mm -hmm. um by the time I was like 21 22 my dad I mean he 
he was he was a more heavy user or whatever. So he was in and out, getting locked up until he eventually got deported. And then my mom was like, like yeah, around that same year, um, she ended up remarrying to someone in Kansas, and she moved out over there. So I, I that's a whole story. That dude, how, how, do, how do you meet someone in Kansas? <laughs> my mom, I guess she, um, Facebook. she not yeah, Facebook, <laughs> Facebook re- reconnected them, but she grew up. Um, they knew each other from Mexico when they were kids. But that's like the love of her life now. And she's lived with him for the past like 10 years. They have another baby. Dude, I couldn't write a book. I'm telling you, I couldn't write a book. At uh, 22, what happens? Your mom marries and what happened? Where do you, do you end up moving out to? Or? No. So I stayed with um, Chiquis' dad. But that, that's when um, more of like the physical DV started happening with him. Um. And I think because I grew up seeing, like, my parents argue, my mom defend herself and things like that, I was like, well, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm defending myself. That's what I'm doing. But the thing that I've learned, like, working in the fields and stuff like that, it's DV. It's not just, like, when there's, like, violence. It, there's always a, someone has control over the other person with something. It could either be, like, money or resources or, like, emotions or psychological abuse or things like that. And for me, it was obviously the emotional and psychological abuse, but also the fact that I didn't have anywhere else to go. And he knew that. And he would tell me, like, whenever we get in an argument, like, even your parents left you. Like, who else is going to want you? Try to, like, brush it off, but you internalize those things, yeah. too. Especially um, since what happened to you when you when they when your dad found out you were pregnant, yeah. so it's just kind of like flashbacks. Like, yeah, he's right because yeah, that's what I was told by my dad. Yeah, and and I believed it. Like, I believed it. I didn't want to like have sex with him anymore. I just I just couldn't. Me asco, and I hated him and I resented him so much. Um, so whenever I wouldn't want to, um, it would get bad, you know. So when did you eventually move out? So. I think we got to a point where he got to a point where he's like, all right, I can't force her anymore. So I'm just going to leave her alone. But I was at work and he shows up and I'm, I'm working at Winterfell. I'm a baker there. And he shows up and he's like, hey, like, we have to get back together. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. Anymore. We live together. Yeah, you know, I, I pay rent too or whatever. And he's like, all right, okay. So I work graveyard and I get home. And tell me why, like, the apartment's locked and all my stuff is outside. And it's, like, 5, 5.30 in the morning. And I I start knocking on the door. And he comes out, and I'm like, dude, the hell? Like, you know, my daughter's sleeping inside or whatever, so I'm not trying to get all crazy and wake her up and scare her. So he's like, well, you don't want to be with me. Just get the fuck out then. And but you're paying rent. But it's his, it's his parents' property. So he always had that, you know, like... Was he, he paying rent? According to him, but his parents never... They wouldn't have kicked him out, even if he wasn't paying rent. They wouldn't have. That's his family, and he made that very clear, and I knew that that was his family. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just there because I had a baby by him, basically. So I had the, I, I told myself, like, I can either be like, okay, I'll get back with you, have somewhere to sleep, or at that time I had my car fuck it i have my car i'll sleep in my car so i got all my stuff and i put all my belongings in the trunk i kid you not those belongings stayed in that trunk for like the next two years i just never took them out like i couldn't get i just couldn't take them out they were just there point is because i worked graveyard i didn't have to worry about where to sleep at night 
Mm-hmm. I would nap in my car after work. And my daughter wouldn't know um, because I'd get out of work and I'd just say, oh, I just got out of work, mama. Like, I'll take you to school. I'll, I'll walk you to school or things like that. I couldn't sleep there. But his mom, like, obviously she would let me shower or things like that. And the thing is that he would make it an issue for her, for all the residents, if they let me in. So I didn't want to do that. So you're messy. I'm like, well, I'll wait for Chica's outside. I'll take her to school and then I'll go back to work. But I was just sleeping in my car. But I had a job. So I had money coming in. So yo no más duré in my car like a week or two. And then by like the miracle of God or something, I remember I was uh, walking Chiquis to school and I see a sign for rent, like studio. And I'm like, what? And it was so fucking random because I had passed that same street in the morning and it wasn't there. Um, and I called the guy and the guy's like, yeah, you can get the room. And it was a room for like 700 a month. I have somewhere to sleep. And... I remember like the first night that I stayed there, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a mattress. I had plastic bags with my clothes in it. I didn't have a mattress. I didn't have blankets. I didn't have anything. But I had my space. That was that's all I needed, you know. Hey, you think Chiquis? Chiquis came back. Chiquis came with me. I I couldn't have her like rolling in the car with me. I couldn't have her in a room where, you know, we're sleeping on the floor. And I know moms go through it, and I, know I just I couldn't do it. I knew she was safe with her grandma. You know, mm. so and I was obviously I didn't leave her leave her because I was I was still around I was just working a lot but I was just in the car. The first thing I got was a mattress and once I got my mattress I I got my my bed frame from Offer Up and then I got my mueble from Offer Up and then poquito poquito I started like building my little furniture you know and her she was with me like building the bed and everything so you know she yeah, she she's been there through it all. Once he saw that I was like more situated. He lost that, like, well... Control Yeah, you. Like, he's like, oh, she did do it on her own. That's... I don't know. He took it out of my car. Um, <laughs> so, when I when I moved out, it was kind of like the timing where we got our taxes done, right? So, I'm like, okay, I'm working. I'm going to get my taxes soon or whatever. But, well, this was before I got the room. So, when I was still in my car, I got my taxes and I cashed them. And it put him in my car because that's where I was sleeping. I'm at work. Uh, yeah, you're like, everything is going. Ugh. So I'm at work and my shift barely started. It's like 8 30, 9 o'clock at night. And then it's the, I just hear like car alarms. Y yo siendo chismosa, I was like, a ver qué pasó, or whatever. And then I go through the back door. Car. <laughs> I just see some guy running and like a trail of papers like this. <gasps> And I'm like, I look, and it's my car with, like, the window busted, the door open, the alarm blaring, and all that stuff. And I look, and I'm like, this guy just took my shit. So I start running after him. I start booking it. But the thing is, there was a car waiting for him. And he, like, reversed down Randolph. And I just, I was there stuck, like, that's my money. Like, that's my money. That's all I had. Like, my car is literally my home. The money that I had is gone. And I just, I kind of lost it because obviously who wouldn't, you know, it's panicked out or whatever. And I call my daughter's grandma and I'm like, something happened. Like, I need to put my car somewhere. Like, my thing is immediately problem solving. What can mm-hmm. I do now, you know? So she's like, I'm like, what happened? I'm like, somebody broke in my car. I just need to leave it somewhere so it could be safe. I'll figure out what to do. And she shows up and my daughter's dad shows up and he shows up like, what happened? Who did this to you and all this stuff? But one thing he says is like, well, you see, if, if you had stayed with me, this wouldn't have happened. So I'm just like, 
And like months later, I found out that he had something to do with it through like people around the neighborhood. And that's when I was just like, mm. because the only people that knew that I had gotten my tax money was his family. So the only people that would have like, who else? What knowledge or whatever, you know, like at that time, that's where I'm working. Like, that's my car. Like, I have money in the glove compartment. Like, who, you know? Like, who would know that? Never because leave money no, on the glove oh, compartment. Never did. Never, never did Until again. then. But the thing <laughs> is, I had I had all my belongings in the car. I had, like, my headphones. I had my computer because that's where I was living. But for them to only take that glove, like, that envelope, because they dropped a bunch of paperwork because they were looking for that envelope. So I'm just like, somebody had to know. And eventually I found out that, yeah, you know, the he had he had something to do with it but then i found the room and then i was fine literally like every couple of months my car would get like broken into um my window would get busted my car has had every single tire replaced every single window replaced because it either got obviously the tire slashed or the window was broken and you think it's on him yeah because it all happened like right after the couple of months that um that i left them and and it sucks because like I don't have that family. Like, I can't run to my mom or my parents. My sister, she was renting a unit from his parents. So I didn't want to cause her trouble by going with her. So then when did you decide to go back to school? Okay. So this is, this all this happens and you're how old at this age? At this time? At 22. 22. Go back to college at 24. Mm -hmm. So between 22 and 24, what happened? I went through like the whole restraining order, custody stuff. I go there. Oh, wow. <laughs> because Jose también, um, we were really close, like growing up and everything. And I remember when I was in community college, he was still in high school. So I was learning about like matrices and things like that. And he had a, he didn't know what that was. And I'm like, look, dude, like here's my textbook. Like this is what it is. And he would try to learn the things that I was learning because it was, it was advanced because mm -hmm. obviously he was still in high school and I would help him. But it got to a point when he got to, to college and things like that, where I'm like, damn, dude, I don't know what you're doing. Like, this isn't math anymore. It's just letters. But when everything happened with um with his brother, so in 2019, we had an incident. And it happened after I had already gotten my studio or whatever. And I was technically, like, on my own for the most part. And that incident got so bad. Obviously, my daughter was there, too. So she witnessed it. And that was the first time she had witnessed something like that, like with us, well, it, it being physical. So because she witnessed it, I I knew I had to do something about it. You know, I could protect myself by ignoring it. Literally, I think that's what I was doing. But for her, it's like, well, what am I teaching her if she's seeing it and I'm ignoring it? And I had a friend tell me, she's like, you're going to be scared going to family court or going talking to cops and things like that. It's scary, but you got to kind of take what is it, like solace or strength in knowing that that you're answering that question. Like, what am I teaching my daughter? You know, you teach her not to let yourself, that you can do something about it and that you can speak up for yourself. And, and one thing that you're breaking a cycle here, because I think for many of us who saw DV happening between our parents, it's normal. We normalize it. And it's like, don't, you know, I think because of our parents' status, we're always, we always heard like, no, don't call the cops. We don't want any trouble. Yeah. Like, we don't want to get deported. Mm -hmm. I feel that parents and 
maybe not everyone's in a group, but there's this level of manipulation that happened with the kids. Because mm-hmm. I remember my mom was like, you better not say anything at school because we're going to be the first one leaving. Or it's like a family thing or keep it in the family mm-hmm. or that's not anyone else's business but ours or things like that. Yeah. So I think that's very powerful that you're that you are breaking a cycle like it's something that you saw you're like wait no this is not i'm not gonna allow this to continue happen because you're right because you saw it and when we we saw that we think oh it's normal for us yeah but i think because now you are a mother you're like oh wait yeah because i the thing the way i'm now that you rephrased it like that it's like my mom went through it and i went through it but i'm not gonna allow my daughter to go through it so yeah that that's that thing that's where the, the breaking the cycle so the the restriction order happens and then what happened did did, did you feel better like a sense of more safety how how did your life continue afterwards um so i think the restraining order did help because i learned to advocate for myself and i learned also that i could be an advocate for others when you go to family court it's scary obviously and i remember going in and printing out like my paperwork from Staples, not knowing that they provide you the, the paperwork for free and there's free legal help and things like that. And I went just by myself. And there was a, a, a lady that um, she just speaks, she didn't speak English and she was lost more than I was. And she gets closer to me and she's like, Mija, ¿cómo se llena este papel? And I'm just like, I'm scared. And I could only imagine how scared you are, you know, because obviously this this is law and this is a different law. This is a different country because she started talking to me about her background and stuff like that. And I kind of realized, like, I'm privileged, like as as shitty as my experience has been, I'm privileged in the fact that I can drive myself here. I could speak the language. I could speak on my behalf. I'm not scared of getting deported. I'm not scared of people scamming me with money because people um who are undocumented they're they're exploited they're vulnerable yeah they're vulnerable yeah. for that reason you know wow. so i kind of learned like hey i could use my experiences to help other people and that's where that little light of maybe i could do social work in the future maybe i could help people that's kind of where it started with because i've had experiences like that once i got my restraining order it did give me like a sense of safety because i knew i had done everything i could and i kind of felt a little proud of myself because i i do things like i got my paperwork done i i got my high school diploma like i got my bachelor's and things like that but i doubted myself the whole time and i think that's something that's overlooked people see the the results they don't see the progress and they don't see how you battle with that inner critic and like you have to tell that voice like shut up dude like let me just do it let me just try and you have to constantly work mm-hmm. towards fighting it and that's just hard when that happened, I realized, like, hey, I am strong. Hey, I am capable of a lot of things, like things that I doubted myself for. And one of the people I looked up to in, in that sense was Jose, because obviously our, our experiences were way different. But he was also like um, like a cycle breaker. He was one of the first people I knew that went to college. And he was obviously the, one of the most hardworking people ever. He'd sell tortas, he'd sell tools, he'd sell anything. He'd sell copper. I remember seeing him like peeling the alambres and things like that. He'd sell bikes, anything. And that's one thing. He could make money out of anything and he could teach himself something that he didn't he didn't know. Seeing him reaching his potential and actually striving for what he wanted to do 
it's inspiring and it shows you you can do it when he passed away when he was killed it's like people cope with it differently grief impacts us in in, de- in different ways there's no way to 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 process it but to me it's like i had potential and if i wasn't using it it would have been a slap in the face right for somebody who lost their opportunity it, it's not fair anyone who's listening to us jose was our friend alondra's ex-cuñado in in this case and jose was part of our class of 2013 in fremont high school and he went to cal poly he got his degree in engineering and he got his degree in astrophysics physics astrophysics I believe that that was the correct right yeah and he eventually and then he made his way on to uc irvine to get his phd in the same field and in between um when he was at, at when he was at cal poly he actually started doing a lot of research he was going to research in harvard in um, at their institute at northwestern he was giving conferences left and right. I mean, the last year or two before he passed away, he actually was always giving conferences. He was like the up and coming yeah. astrophysicist in his field. Yeah. In his field, and in twenty nineteen, he was killed in a drive by by he, literally. He, Alondra has more details on that, but. It, it was just a very unjust way for him to die. It was out of nowhere. And we were really, like, the whole community was really broken because I think what made Jose very, very special is that I remember when we were in high school in freshman year, I don't know if you remember um, Dean Hernandez. No, I don't remember. Okay. So Dean Hernandez, it was interesting. One day in ninth grade, he put all of us, all ninth graders in the auditorium. The auditorium was pretty big. And we were, I think, a class of a thousand kids or so, usually, more or less. And he would be like, look to your right, look to your left. One of, um, only only one person will make it to graduation. So he was like, our graduation rate is 30%, 33%. Yeah, I think I do remember that conversation. And we were all like, what the fuck? He was right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at the end, I mean, every year... This class just got smaller and smaller. Yeah, the class because when we graduated, if according to him we were about a thousand students, we graduated I think at less than seven hundred, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was like six fifty, and then that is just grad graduating. I think the amount of people going to college just in general was less, and then the people who went into UCs or Cal States was less, and then UCs even less, and then privates obviously less. So for Jose to major in a in a STEM major graduate and then make his way to a PhD it was unheard of like we haven't heard it's and I think in some communities that are Latinos there it's still heard of yeah. here it's unheard of like he was he was a star literally yeah, like what Harvard what <laughs> like you you can get paid to fly out places to talk we didn't that was unfamiliar to us that was that's not something that that we heard of you know um, but it showed us that it was attainable because Jose didn't come from like special privilege, anything, you know, his parents are really, really humble. His dad's a construction worker. Um, his mom's a stay at home mom, you know, and there were times when his dad would be like, Yo no entiendo. like, I don't know what you're doing, but just keep doing it, you know, and it's a supportive family. Yeah. And, and I think that was the biggest privilege for him is it was his family. But there's people who have like supportive families and they don't know how to appreciate him. Jose did. 
and yeah. everything that he did, he he made sure that he told his parents, like, I'm doing it for you guys. I'm not wasting your your love, your support, or anything. Like, this is this is what you're teaching me. Jose was your motivator to go back to college. So when when did you go back to college? So um, Jose passed away in 2019, August 14, 2019. And I enrolled into the spring semester of uh, 2020. So a couple of months after. Um, because I had credits from ELAC. I they were still good. I went for about two years. I had all my GEs completed. So I ended up graduating 2020. I got my associates in psychology and I transferred to Cal State LA for that fall. And it's crazy because I, I applied for Cal State LA. I applied for Dominguez Hills. I applied for all the... I didn't even apply to UCs because I didn't think I'd get in them, which I probably would have. Yeah, my GPA was, so. was, was decent. I had like a 3.8. It's just that wow. like limiting mindset. Like I, I wouldn't be able to do that. But I'm telling you, I doubted myself the whole time. Like even when I got the email, I was like, it's not going to happen. I don't know what it was. I just doubted it. But eventually, I, I was able to complete my bachelor's. I want to say something. I feel like sometimes things are easier. I mean, I'm not saying like this journey has been easy, but the actual steps are sometimes easier. They're and simple. Like, what the hell? Why yeah. was I struggling mentally with this? And obviously, you don't share that at the moment with people. Sometimes you're just like keeping it to yourself and you're mm -hmm. just like, well, we'll see how it goes. And then you're like, oh, yeah, everything out of her weight. What? Yeah. Like, you're, are you sure? You're like, you're this easy. Why, yeah. why are not more people doing it? Yeah. Too? It's like that. And also, like, you, it's because we, we, we don't know anyone who's done it. Yeah. so it's like if it's our first time if we have somebody who's done it they reassure us like dude it's not it's not a big deal you know you just go into the office you sign up or whatever but it's when it's your first time you have no one to reassure you and and i think for me it has been where i'm like wait if it was this easy how come other people haven't done it that i think are capable like for me that's when i start doing all these like business papers paperwork i'm like wait this is not hard why is this person not doing it if they have this really really good idea it could be a lot of things. It could be one, people have like the self-limiting beliefs. Their own, yeah. it, it could also be a lack of like a support system. Um, I think for you, you had an example of entrepreneurship with your parents and you're like, no, if this can be done, it could be done at a higher level. And now that's what you're discovering. And you're like, oh, you know, but if your daughter and your daughter, someday, your daughter or your sister or your siblings choose to have like a, a business, now you're going to be able to guide them and who knows, maybe they could even do it another level. Mm -hmm. That's what you want yeah. for your family. We're going to have to put a pause to this conversation and have a part two with Alondra because this, we just touched on more of her personal life and education, but Alondra has also done a lot of work and I would like for her to eventually come back and talk to us a little bit about that. This podcast was very, very detailed. And I want I want her to share what her career trajectory has been and it will continue to be now that she is a full college graduate and what is the next steps for her. Alondra, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This has been the Socia Effect. I'm your host, Lucy. I have a couple of announcements. Obviously, this podcast, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, go ahead and check them out. Give us a review on Spotify or Apple, wherever you're listening to. Continue following me on TikTok and Instagram at by Lucy Ortega. Right now, I'm documenting a lot of the work that I'm doing for Sierra, my food business. We now have a physical location, and I'm going to make it look really, really cute so y'all can come and take pictures for the gram. It is located in Southgate 
clients. I have my business guide out if you want to start a business or start creating content. I do have a business guide on, and you can find that in the link in my bio on Instagram or TikTok. That's it for now. Please keep in touch if you want to DM me on Instagram or TikTok about anything that you would want to hear in this podcast. Let me know. Hasta la próxima.